One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This episode of Culture Vulture was brought to you by our mates at Part-Time Rangers. Because why wouldn't you want to save wildlife while you sip? Kia ora team, welcome back to, what did I say last time, your bona fide favourite. <laughs> so what's going to one-up that this week, Liz? Oh, I don't know. I'm hungover, so I just yeah. can't. <laughs> Sorry, I don't, I don't need to put you on the spot today. No, <laughs> nothing. We're purely going off script. On script. We're purely scripting today's episode. Lucy's feeling a little worse for where we did go out last night, which will, well, I'll inform you when Lucy asked me about my week. Oh, Liv, why don't we just get right into it, eh? Because you've just done a really good tease. I know. What did Um, we do? Bit of a segue. I, well, we, we both went to Joy Crooks yesterday, last night. It was amazing. Like, it was fucking amazing. It was ridiculous. I felt like it was a movie. Oh, because, Lucy, you... Didn't know her music particularly well. No, but then when I got there, yeah. I realized that you I did. Knew, I knew it better than I thought. Yeah, I saw you singing along, and I, I was know. like, "This girl, she picks it up quick." I think the alcohol helped because I was probably singing just random words, but wanted to be a part of it all. Honestly, like <laughs> we had pre-drinks at my house, and then Luce was there, and I thought, you know, it was all very chill. Like everyone's on a good vibe, and then we get to the place, and I turn around, and Lucy's just fucking smashed and I was like how did this happen like on, and do you know how it happened for half an hour it was a mixture of bubbles no yeah. it was a mixture of me having that was my third night out this weekend and the first two nights I had not had a hangover I did not have anxiety I remembered my whole night I didn't get too drunk I was always in control and then I thought okay three for three three's a charm three for three didn't drink any water didn't hardly eat that day. Did the classic stupid bitch thing where yeah. you think you're gonna be fine. I was drinking bubbles like it was just going out of fash. Oh, but mixed so it with good, a though. G and T, and then we had wine at the thing. But it was, you know what? It was gorgeous. It was worth it. It was worth it. It was so worth it, and the pure look of joy, um, of joy. for lack of a better word. For- and Liv, the thing is, that was actually your second time seeing Joy that day. It was. I was very privileged. I got to interview her. So Ellen, my friend, and I, Ellen was the one who actually introduced me to Joy Crook's music probably like four or five years ago. And look, I will say she's actually our friend. (laughs) Just in case anyone's wondering, we do share all the same friends. We do. But I'm quite possessive about them apparently. (laughs) So I went and interviewed Joy. Literally, you get like 10 minutes, but we were there for 20, so I took that as a really good sign. Um, She was great. She was so fucking straight to the point. Like, walked in. She was sitting on the couch cross-legged eating a bag of chips. She had a packet of pineapple lumps in front of her, Whitaker's chocolate, like all of the New Zealand treats. And she was just funny and like answered everything 
really like it wasn't hard work or anything mm. but she was definitely very straight to the point um not like when we've interviewed kiwi artists like no Lord. no it was very different like she was not she didn't give a fuck about like what she was saying or how it was going to be taken yeah. which i really really respected so that was fucking amazing and where can the people find that yeah so i'm gonna write up a little wee interview in this week's culture vulture newsletter so stay tuned for that if you're a Cisco supporter that will be coming into your inbox on saturday morning if you feel like becoming a Cisco supporter please do and then you'll get that little morsel of yeah goodness it's just like it's gonna be sick because we're lucky enough that we get offered these you know we talk for a living we comment on stuff for a living and every now and again we'll get offered like a cool opportunity to go and interview someone cool like joy and this one was great because rubes and i were both like we don't know her music that well but Liv and Ellen, such big fans. Yeah, like, no, definitely, like, huge fans. She's, I would say, like, one of the modern-day, like, icons mm. for for me, yeah, I think. I love it. And yeah. it's just, like, we're like, we're just so lucky. Fuck yeah. We are oh, so, so lucky. lucky. The whole time I was sat there, I was like, I'm not qualified to do this. I don't know how to do this. I was like, can I record this on my phone? Yeah. Like, I didn't know how to, like, start an interview at no. all. But you just got to do it. Like, if that opportunity comes to you, you've just got to fucking take it. Take it. And run with it. So that's what Ellen and I did. Um, so very, very lucky. But, Luce, how was your week? My week, I had a really good week. I actually don't have a certain thing that describes my week. Oh, I, think. I read about your weekend in the news. Oh my god! I had a, yeah. If you want to know about my weekend, it was enormous, and it was a very long diary entry for all my pen pals in the normal she should care about newsletter. I think what was going to describe what was going to describe my week was um, like being really humble about not being hungover, <laughs> and then this morning I woke up and it was like I've been hit by a fucking bus. <laughs> So it's humbling, but but I can't say that being hungover describes my whole week. No, so, no. I don't know. Also, well, what's it's a lot gonna, of social interaction for you? Yeah, I think after a week of feeling like I couldn't talk to anyone, a week of being grounded, a week of being grounded, and then and then, and then a phoenixed. week of being fe- a phoenix, yeah, phoenixing, absolutely. And now I feel like I feel like we always come on this pod and like we just need to get our shit together. I feel like I need to spend a little bit less money. Oh. I need to do yep. some fucking exercise. Yep. Got on my bike once last week and it was blissful. And, like, I need to move my body purely to get away from a screen and to just, like, fresh get some new oxygen Yeah, in I mean, me. it's hard, though, at the moment. We've had, like, a month of solid rain. I know. So it is pretty difficult to... For any of you that don't know, we are in the middle of winter yeah. in New Zealand. Um, but I know, you just feel so much better, hey, yeah. when you do get out. It's, like... Whether you go for a 20-minute walk or you go for an hour run, it's the same. I could walk to the dairy for two minutes and, like, I don't even need anything, but I'm, like, just getting out there. Real low stakes, real low pressure. But I feel like I'm moving into that, like, honestly, loose. But then am I going to be able to get my shit together because I feel like I'm traveling I'm, I'm dipping in and out of home well i feel like you're someone that always has their shit together but like maybe mm. on the surface right now it doesn't feel like it yeah. but like you're very much but i feel like that i'll have like one week of being super wholesome yeah like cook myself meals every night yeah. and whatever and then fucking last week none of that didn't go to the grocery no, store that's was what I was like, about to say. yeah and that fucked me over spent way too much money drank way too much alcohol yeah. but I guess it's that's just life. It's like life, it's life is never just one way. Nah, and don't like conform. Because yeah, I <laughs> yeah. always feel like even us being in the office, we're like 
something comes along every three weeks to really just throw a spanner in the works. Like, yeah. Rubes will go to Sydney, you'll go to Wellington, I'll go somewhere, or something will happen. That means we never have a proper routine. But that's actually life. It's actually life, and especially our lives yes. in, like, this time frame that we're in. And I feel like there's actually nothing wrong with that, because no, we'll look cool. back. Maybe we will have a solid routine in, like, 10 years' time, and we'll look back and be like, fuck, remember those days? Remember when the twenty sort of, like, waltz and now be hungover, like, whatever. Yeah. I mean, and we're obviously very privileged to be able to do so, but... But yeah. we work fucking hard as well. Oh, like, for sorry, sure. lots of the days are 12, are 5 a.m. till 5 oh, 100%. p.m. Like, that we, means sometimes you have to get up at 6 a.m. to start your culture vulture research. research because you haven't... <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So... I don't actually know where we were going with anything, no. but it's just nice to catch up. <laughs> it's just nice to catch up with you all as listeners. Or we do have a new endeavour that we're about to embark on, Liz. Oh, my God, yeah. Oh. I was looking at you like, what? Like, what's a new endeavour? What should we drop? Very, very new endeavour. Like, yes. very fresh. Basically just happened in this room just before we just... <laughs> How many times can I say we're just? <laughs> 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 Before we started recording this podcast, um, our lovely producer, T.I. Hay Butler. Um, <laughs> He's got to have the last name in there. <laughs> Do you know why I said that? It's because I listen to Nay and you always go, T.I. Hay Butler. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I'm obsessed because like. Like, oh my like, god! Well, you just must know. Yeah, because you, you actually might want to employ him you, after hearing you this. You can't know our names, no, but you must know his. No. <laughs> you can't know who we are whatsoever, but you must know our gorgeous producer. Anyway, what is the wonderful T.I. Hair Butler <laughs> going <laughs> to keeping do for us? <laughs> yeah. He is teaching us how to play Dungeons, Dungeons and, and Dragons, Dragons, and we're really fucking excited. Like. It's not even because of Stranger Things, which is kind of like the Queen's Gambit had the whole like bringing chess back yeah. into the mainstream. Stranger Things probably done that for Dungeons and Dragons. I've only dipped in and out of Stranger Things, but I know that it's quite an integral, mm, quite an integral story. And is it also in um, Riverdale? Yeah, but they call it gargoyles and something, goblins and gargoyles. Goblins, yeah, and but I think it's very much the same premise. Oh, totally. They probably just didn't have the copyright or anyway. Yeah. Me and Liv are going to learn how to play because how amazing to immerse yourself in this world that is, like, fully of your own making and your own thinking. I mean, you have a dungeon master, as we've just learned from T.I. Head Butler, but, like, you don't have to have a screen to push you along. It's not like a choose-your-own-adventure on a screen. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure in your brain. Yeah, and, like, how often do we get to do that? We did that all the time as kids. We never do it as adults. It would just be so refreshing to sit down and actually, like, dive into our own brains for a little bit. And just, like, it just seems so fun. Oh, I'm really excited. I just think... We are in the mindset of going back to our inner child's children, making them feel like seen and heard and living their truths. Absolutely. So cute. So naturally, we'll keep you up to date with that. Oh, we will. I mean, that's a whole new foray for us. (laughs) What the fuck is a foray? (laughs) I don't know if it's even. I'm hungover, everyone. Like a beret and a. No, like a foray (laughs) into the wilderness. Um. Okay, I'm going to talk you through my naughty or nice, <laughs> since you're just never going to ask. Please do. <laughs> um, I didn't want to cut, you know, no, this tangent short. We were having like some quite deep, some quite unlocking moments. I, I think so. Naughty or nice. Kid Cuddy walks off stage at Rolling Loud Miami after festival goers throw bottles. Have you heard about this? No, I have not, but I'm intrigued. Quite a short story. Quite a um, easy to tell whether it's naughty or nice. Um... And honestly, 
I would do the same if I was on stage and someone was throwing bottles at me. Fuck yeah. So yay pulled out as being the headliner to a music festival called Rolling Loud. Yeah. And then Kid Cudi stepped in to headline. Now, I don't know if you remember everyone, but they have a bit of beef um, over Donda 2, I think, over yes. his latest album. I think Kid Cudi was like, they've been good mates and collaborators, but now he doesn't really want to associate. Fair enough. That's not actually the story here. Um, but, yeah, so Kid Cudi stepped in, but it seems, and the action's sort of show that the audience members, despite knowing that it was going to be Kid Cudi playing, weren't that satisfied maybe that it wasn't Yay on stage and it was Kid Cudi, which that's fucked because Kid Cudi is a musical genius. Yeah, he's fucking huge. He's so sick. I'd kill to see. I would throw bottles to see Kid Cudi. <laughs> You'd be throwing bottles the other way. You'd get up on stage and throw them back <laughs> into, into the crowd. <laughs> so essentially, yeah, he got on stage and he was just getting pelted with shit. You know how people think it's like – Gucci to throw shit on stage. What the fuck? Like, I understand a note, like a gift, some flowers, a bra, a flag. Like, Harry Styles is always with, like, is always holding up different flags. If it's it's with love and, like, the thing that you're throwing isn't going to hurt them and it's, like, a nice thing, then go for it. But this is fucked. Like, you would never do that in everyday life. No. So here's what he said on stage. If I get hit with one more fucking thing, if I see one more fucking thing on this fucking stage, I'm leaving. He said that after he was first hit in the head with a water bottle. And then he said, don't fuck with me. Yeah, because that's pretty humiliating. Yes. Yeah, you'd feel stupid as fuck. (laughs) I'm picturing it. I'm Dungeons and Dragonsing. Like, I'm using my imagination to picture it. No, so... And then almost immediately after he said that on stage, another object went flying onto the stage. And so Kakati walked off stage. But do you know what this reminds me of, Liv? This is obviously a really naughty story. but Because um, it's not <laughs> naughty, nice. darling. It's naughty, naughty. darling. But I, the reason I'm finding this so funny is because, you know, I think I've brought this up before, the episode of The Simpsons where <laughs> there is the family. Lucy's references. <laughs> no. <laughs> What? Tiaho asked us who would want to be in Dungeons and Dragons. And, like, you know, who's your favorite, like, superhero? Like, are you more of, like, a Katniss Everdeen? Are you more of a Catwoman? Whatever. Lucy goes, I want to be Homer Simpson. <laughs> and to be fair, like, then Tiaho said, well, Lisa. And I was like, actually, Lisa is Lisa way would more be, of a vibe. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so there's that episode of The Simpsons where there's this family in the car driving. They're going to Cape Canaveral. And the dad dad is like, if you kids can't keep your hands to yourself, I'm going to turn this car around. And then straight after he says that, Nelson Muntz leans out the window and slaps the dad in the back of the head. And they turn around. Like... Kid Cuddy saying, if I get hit with one more fucking thing, I'm leaving the stage and then immediately getting hit. <laughs> so, so, anyway, really mm. naughty story. <laughs> really naughty story. Actually, really, really naughty. Yeah. That is horrible. And please up Kid Cuddy. Kid Cuddy. I'd fucking, yeah, yeah. I'd be gone. I'd be gone too. Right. I think it's probably time that we take a little break and we hear from our wonderful sponsors this week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We are incredibly excited to be working with our mates at Part-Time Rangers once again. Fun fact for you all, Part-Time Rangers were actually our first ever podcast sponsor over on The Shit Show. That was before we were even a proper business. So naturally, we love them. Yes, Luce, we also love that with every sip you take of one of their RTDs, like the pink rhino or the yellow elephant, you're actually saving wildlife. A portion of the proceeds from every can supports wildlife conservation across the globe, which is fucking amazing. So that's from the big tusk elephants and rhinos in Africa to koalas in Australia and kiwi in New Zealand. There's just so much to love about part-time rangers. And honestly, what better way to chill out than by listening to an episode of your favourite pop culture podcast while sipping on a cheeky part-time rangers bevy? I mean, cheers to that, Liv. And to our besties who are over 18, please go and grab yourself some part-time rangers and save the wildlife while you sip. Okay, Luce, we are... Actually, back in the studio, we recorded this yesterday, and I don't know, you and I were both a little, I don't know, it was a Monday, we were feeling a little worse for wear. Yes, brain was empty. Brain was empty, and both Luce and I thought that we didn't quite get our points across in the best way possible, so we were like, we don't want to give you guys a shit product. No. We're coming back in, and we're going to kind of streamline this conversation, because... It's kind of a complex one. Yeah. Like with everything we and talk about. And it's so interesting. It's so interesting. So we also realize we haven't even brought up what we are yeah. talking about today. That's how empty our brain was. Yeah. Is that we didn't even like bring up the co-papa of the episode. No, the structure start. just flew out the window yesterday. Anyway, we're back here. We're fixing our mistakes. <laughs> what are we talking about, Smith? We are talking about separating the art from the artist. When we should separate it. When we shouldn't. Whether we can. Whether we can. So, Luce, can you... Just give me a brief rundown. What does that even mean? So, I feel like we all sort of know the notion of separating the art and the artist, but it's probably helpful just for this chat to make sure we're all on the same page that we're talking about someone that's created any form of art. We're not talking about just paintings. Like no, that God, type no. Of art. It's paintings, it's books, it's movies, it's poetry, it's music, it's everything. It's content creation. Yes. It's David Dobrik. It, it, it is David yeah. Dobrik. And so it's when you, and it's mostly when you have quite a connection to this piece of art, and then you find out that the creator of this piece of art has done something bad, something you don't agree with, something the world decides they don't agree with, something that maybe was okay when it was in the time that they created it, but now it's not, and luckily as a world, we're getting quite good at, you know, calling things out, trying to create a better future, but it's also created this we talk about it almost every week, cancel culture mm-hmm. world, which doesn't really set up for these big, meaningful conversations. Not at all. It makes everything into a black and white argument, yes. which we're not here for. No. So I think we're going to refer to this wonderful piece um, in Vox, written by Constance Grady. Um, and I think if we just started off with this quote from her, then it might set the tone for the big philosophical question that we're not trying to answer, but we're trying to sort of look into today. So Constance says, how do I reconcile aesthetic pleasure with moral disgust? Which of my feelings will win? 
What do I do with art I love that was created by a monster? Oh, it's that emotional tension, yes. isn't it? It's the, you love this thing. Like, you have so much nostalgia, yep. so many memories it's wrapped around. It's informed your life it's somehow. It's informed your life. It maybe is really important to people that you love. All yes. of that shit. But yet, then you find out that something shocking behind the scenes yes. has happened, whether it's the person who made it or yes. the environment it was made in, whatever. And then you just are left feeling like, how? what the fuck do I do with this? Yes. It's an inherently personal, personal thing. And it's all about, like, sort of at the crux, weighing up or reconciling those emotions that are like, I love this thing, but is the very bad thing that's happened, like, more powerful than my love yeah, for this thing? Yeah, does that outweigh it? Does it and outweigh it? Is it even a question of what outweighs what? Yeah. Or can I still love it because it had an impact on me and it's nothing to do with the motherfucker that's ruined it for me? A hundred percent. So many things. Liv, we need to start with a little bit of history, I think, with a little bit of why do we even have these chats? Why do we think this way? Totally. It's sort of like, where did this idea even come from? And it turns out that it kind of started in the early 1900s. Um, And there was a major school of thought at the time called New Criticism. Mm -hmm. And so this was kind of like, when science was becoming a really big thing and that was the accepted way to think about the world, everything was yes or no. Like people were very hard and fast with what was right and wrong. And so when we talked about art, people were trying to look at it like a science. Like an equation of this must have got in and this must have gone in and we boiled it up and it created this. And it created this. And so because of that, people started looking at art as like a standalone thing, something where you didn't need to understand the context where it was created. So say you read a poem and you love the poem and you get whatever out of the poem. You don't need to know who the poet is. You don't need to know when the poem was written, anything like that. It's basically when a good piece of art stands alone and we can then unpack it like it's science because there's no fuzziness around like... The person that made it didn't have feelings that influenced it. So it was a very new criticism was like, take the thing at face value and then figure out what it means. For sure. So this just meant that people stopped trying to look into the mind of the person who made it, right? And so this is where separating, separating the art from the artist really comes from is because in this school of thought, you didn't even think about the artist at all. They just weren't a part of it because good art meant you could think about it without the artist. And then kind of mid-1900s, a new school of thought came in called postmodernism. Again, something we probably learned about at uni so many times. But did not, we just couldn't take it with us. Never goes in the brain. So this started taking over from new criticism and postmodernists really rejected the scientific way of looking at art and the fact that it had to stand by itself. However, they still argued that art should be kept separate from the artist because of the whole notion that the author is dead. And by that, I don't mean that the author is literally dead. By that, I mean that they thought art... The meaning of the piece of art was created by the reader or the audience. Yes. It was created by what it meant to you. Yeah. And so the author wasn't seen as an important part of it because they weren't the one that assigned the meaning to the art. Like they had their own meaning for yes. it, but there were hundreds and thousands of new meanings that 
every different person who interacted with this piece of art could take yes. from it. So would you say that um, the first school of thought we talked about, mm-hmm. it was like the art stands alone and you can figure out its very meaning in quite a scientific manner and it probably has one or maybe two. Totally. The next one is like still separate from the artist but yeah. – you are putting your own life your experiences own and your own meanings into yeah, it. Yeah, like the meaning's not as stable. Yes. It's not like an inherent meaning. Yeah. So I know this is really confusing, but kind of stay with us here. I think this kind of explains it well. Um, so there was a culture critic called Josephine Livingston that kind of took this postmodernistic approach when she was talking about Woody Allen's films, mm-hmm. who is and disgraced yeah literally a very problematic man she said i consider woody allen and roman polanski another very problematic director she considers their movies gifts to me to the culture even when they're bad and i'm never giving them back i don't want allen and polanski to have control over their own legacies or even their own works if they don't get to dictate how i interpret their films then they don't get control over anything about the film industry we the viewers do that is a really great quote because i think it puts the power in the consumer Mm -hmm. which is something we'll come to Mm -hmm. um, because again there's no right or wrong answer live right now is giving us a bunch of ways that Everyone can think about this yeah. whole... Like, you can figure out where you fit. These are tools in your toolkit yeah. for thinking about these huge, complex issues that mm. don't have a right or wrong. And you can kind of take these ways of thinking and see what feels right with you and your own circumstance. And and it sort of allows for you to remove the guilt of loving a thing that you grew up with, that really mm-hmm. informed you like we were talking, and say, okay... I don't care for the person that made it, but that's irrelevant because this thing is mine. They didn't make it for them. Maybe they did if they're selfish, but they made it for the world. It's being like as soon as you put a piece of art out into the world, it's no longer yours. yours. The artist is dead. Yeah. Yeah. The artist is dead, right? And then so where we're at today, there's a new school of thought called New Historics. And we're kind of like in between this postmodernistic school of thought and new historics, I think a lot of critics, culture critics, take a bit of both when Mm. they're thinking about texts and whatever they're analysing. So new historics, they believe that you need to understand the art social context to fully understand the art itself. And that's very 2022. I can very when you're talking about this, I'm finding it so interesting that you can track the way that the world has moved yes. and changed via these schools of thought. Exactly, it's so fucking interesting because I feel like now in 2022 we take people's personal personal perspectives and stories into far more of an account than we used yeah. to, and, and it is a lot because we care and yes. because we don't want to repeat. The shit that was allowed to happen in Roman Polanski's you know, sure, career or whatever. Because I think we're now realizing the real importance of context and the real importance that, like, things don't happen in a vacuum mm-hmm. and that, like, even evil people um, or people that do really bad things, like, you know, there's always context to that as well. So there's always context mm. to art, whether that's good context or bad context. And I think also a really another interesting point is when. So if you are trying to separate the art from the artist and being like more postmodernistic with your view of like, okay, they've created this thing, it's out in the world, it's no longer tied to them, it's it's for me to mm-hmm. enjoy. I think what is really important now, thinking about context, is that with this piece of art, what are they trying to say to you? Like, is 
they're really problematic worldview really intertwined with this piece of art yes like and we can see this through r kelly right like this is a prime example it's like he obviously had this sex addiction and all of this really problematic shit when like sleeping with underage girls Mm. and just fucked up we have a whole episode on it if you want to go back and learn absolutely and then you listen to his music and it's all about sex and age and sleeping with underage girls and it's like that's when you make that decision. Like, can you enjoy this piece of music when you know that they're pushing their really problematic worldview on you and you're kind of, like, complicit yeah. in that? I mean, it's not your responsibility. But it but, is your decision. But it is your decision and it's good to be fully aware. Whereas, say, someone who is really problematic in their own personal life but it doesn't come across at all and the text itself isn't problematic and it's like a really lovely thing, you know, that's That's something to also consider when you're trying to make the decision as to whether to keep this piece of art in your life or whether to disregard it. Exactly. I think that is, and we're going to come to many points, like me and Liv probably should have said at the start that we're not going to be able to give you a solid answer of, yes, get rid of this person from your life no, they're fine. You can keep them. We don't have a list in a checkbox that we can do that. We are going to give you so many different scenarios like that. If you can see their worldviews wrapped up in their art and you don't like it and you don't want to support it, quite an easy decision if it's quite blatant. It's where they've still made something beautiful and it means a lot to you and you don't feel like they're persuade, they're pushing their maybe personal problematic shit into the world is where Mm -hmm. it's more complex. You can still absolutely morally be like, fuck that, I'm not reading it, I'm going to cut it out of my life. But if it's really important to you, then it's another decision that you can make. Absolutely. And then there's also this other point of like, you know, when it comes to cancel culture, we can't just eradicate everything bad that's happened in cultural history, right? Absolutely. So it's like if there was this really problematic man who wrote really misogynistic books like you we don't need to just pretend that never happened because that's actually not helpful we don't learn anything from that we can still analyze these texts and study them absolutely and learn more about you know our own society and the darker parts of our own society because if it's happening in art it's happening in society i have a really good example for what you're talking about Mm -hmm. right now and it comes from um our producer yesterday, Tiahe Butler, after we'd recorded our first really shocking, shocking version of this podcast, <laughs> um, he said something really interesting, which is about almost this ambiguous threshold of when something that's created has been, and this is my interpretation of what Tiahe said, so do not come for him if I get it wrong, <laughs> that when something is that impactful that it's almost like meaningless to try and separate the art from the artist because it's not theirs. It's yeah. formed the world or it's just It's already huge. out there in such a capacity that we can't rein it back yeah. in. Like, it's impossible. And, like, say with a song from a problematic artist, that song is then, like, used on other pieces of art, say movies and whatever, and then that is kind of, like... Its cultural significance is bigger than that Exactly, one. and it's taken from another artist that's repurposed it and now it has a different meaning. So it's, yeah, it's complicated. Yeah, and back to to the point of something that's that impactful and also that we need to study the things that we don't like and we can't eradicate all bad things from history. We can't actually eradicate anything from history. I don't know why I said all bad things. So Pablo Picasso, very famous, very, very influential artist, Mm -hmm. quite well known to be physically and emotionally abusive to women. 
Um, saw them as objects, has said that women are machines for suffering and that, for me, there are only two kinds of women, goddesses and doormats. Mm. Now, it's not possible for us to erase the impacts of Picasso. Picasso has informed that many fucking artists. He's one of the great artists of it. You know, oh, he's... he's, he's- one of the main people that you learn about if you're ever doing anything creative absolutely, at, at tertiary education or even high school, right? Like, Yeah. And so I think he's one of the people that your legacy and what you've created for the world has way past the threshold of even, like, it's even silly to have the conversation of can you separate the art and the artist when it comes to people like Pablo Picasso. Totally, because then, like, say if you love an unproblematic artist, but their, like, main source of inspiration was Pablo Absolutely. Picasso. They're carrying on his legacy. Yeah. But it's like we can't just cancel everyone that's using Pablo Picasso as a reference. Yes. It's so there impossible. is a point. There is a point where... The conversation of separating the art and the artist, like there are certain people that have been that like informative to the world. There's a really good quote um, from an article I read about Picasso when I was trying to prepare, like to get some examples for this pod to give you some sustenance, people. And um, I'll link it in the show notes. But it said that some theorists have a really interesting take on this, the Pablo Picasso situation. Some theorists would have you believe that we shouldn't read squeamishly to, into such paintings by him. This mm. is because such a reaction doesn't track anything real in the artworks. Rather, we should interpret and assess an artwork based on its internal aesthetic merits alone. We shouldn't bring anything from outside that painting to bear on how we witness it. So that's like what you were talking about and the art should live fully alone mm. and that it's all about how you see it. And then it's also almost to the point that we were talking about if the person, I mean, there are some Picasso paintings where he's sort of painted woman literally as objects. So that's yeah. a unique thing. I don't know what painting they were talking about here. But it's like if you can't see that bad thing in the art, then should you be able to put aside that person's mm-hmm. personal fucked up views and like take art for art's sake yeah absolutely another and big question it's such and and it's so interesting in terms of like the medium of the art right as well because with fine art like public mm. picasso that's so subjective when you when you look at it whereas say if you're watching a film or a TV show or whatever, often the message is pushed much more. Oh, there's a script. There's yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. And whereas with fine art, like most people don't even know how to how to how view to, it. Yeah, and like me included. Like, me included. Yeah, it's massively. Like, so, yeah, really, really interesting. Pointless. Very just these huge people that I mean, mm. we could look probably at everyone that formed the world and been like problematic. That's the worst. But does that mean that they haven't informed the world? No. Does it no. mean that we're probably Wasting our energy by trying to pick that one apart? Yes. And should we just be moving forward? Probably. Yes. (laughs) Potentially. Potent. Honestly. And so this whole conversation that we've had up till now is very much without money. Money is the only tangible thing in this conversation and the only thing that makes it a more concrete thing is like whether you want to support someone financially who's done something really fucked up, right? Yes. So that is also something else to take into consideration. It just means that this is where you have power as a consumer is to choose whether you want to support these people again no right or wrong no i think quite a good example of this one that we can talk about that we all have probably felt is chris brown Mm -hmm. and his 
maybe songs that he released that touched a lot of people like our age pre us knowing what he did to Rihanna. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like if you held really personal connections to those songs or if you just, they formed you, you loved Mm -hmm. them, maybe you're continuing to listen to them now but you've chosen absolutely no way, one, would you make music with Chris Brown if you're an artist and two, would you go and choose to pay for or support like after knowing. Yeah, maybe you can find ways of listening to the music. Say you bought a CD when you were way younger, right? Yes. And you can listen to that instead of potentially streaming him on Spotify yes. where you know that those streams are even very slightly but still giving him financial yes. you know, benefit. So 100% loose, that is definitely a really good um, a really good example. And that kind of leads us into the whole thing of like, how much do you love something? Yes. And I think we're going to kind of talk about our own experiences with separating the art from the artist and having something that means a lot to us and us trying to figure out what to do in that situation. Yeah, and I think as people that come on every week into a culture podcast, culture we're not really critics, we're often fans. Probably today we're slightly critics or philosophers. Yeah. <laughs> but we have shit that we fucking love that now by society's standards is more complicated to love. Absolutely. What's your, like, where's your, what's your complicated love? Look, off the top of my head, it is Harry Potter. Obviously, J.K. Rowling has come out with some really horrific anti-trans sentiment um, throughout the last few years. And I was very much someone, like, I grew up with Harry Potter. My Mm. dad read me the books. Like, I remember literally, like, buying the videos. And it was just such a huge part of my life and a huge part of my friends' lives and everything that we would talk about. Um, That sort of, like, nerdy, nerdy side of everything. And I am just like, I can't stop watching Harry Potter because of these things that J.K. Rowling has said. Like, I would still go home and reread the books because of the childhood nostalgia and the feeling that I get when I enter into that world. And to me, it's like, the way I think about that is that J.K. Rowling was actually a really small part. I mean, obviously a massive part in writing the books, right? But the whole cast and crew it's like a production of hundreds probably even thousands of people that have put their work into this and they've come out saying that they don't agree with what jk rowling has said and they want to be able to separate the harry potter universe from jk rowling and they've gone through steps to do so like renaming quidditch Hmm. um they've they've actually done a whole heap of shit i think like not including her in the latest oh yeah movies not really letting her profit off of the future of the Harry Potter franchise to keep it a safe space for the millions of people that loved it. And I love this example because I think that it is quite – it's – I'm reluctant to use the word nice because I think Mm. nothing about – it's a goddamn shame that J.K. Rowling has turned out to be such a difficult and – I don't know. Prickly. Prickly. She fucking, I don't know. I really disagree with all the shit she says, and I hope that's really clear on this podcast. But I do think that the way that the world has had to face this challenge Mm. of a phenomenon that formed 
a whole generation of people. Like one of the biggest things in culture, especially for anyone Lucy and I's age or older or younger, to be honest. Yeah. And I think it's taught the world something that we haven't touched on yet, Mm. but we sort of have, is that you also can't or shouldn't judge other people for the way that they react to having to separate art from the artist. Absolutely. Like say Lucy has never been a big Harry Potter fan. To her, it's much easier to get rid of Harry Potter from her life, right? Mm. Like, it doesn't have those emotional connections that it has for me. So, like, Lucy can't look at me and be like, oh, my God, like, that's so awful of you to continue. Or I could. Well, you could. You could. But, like, it's probably a relatively unfair thing to do. And a unnuanced thing yeah. to do whereas vice versa lucy has things in her life that she's emotionally connected to that i don't really care yeah. about and that i could easily just be like yeah that's problematic i'm not going to listen to that music anymore i'm not going to watch that thing anymore because it's just never had a huge emotional yeah. impact on me so but was, you would never be like fuck you lucy you're a terrible person you're yeah. morally bankrupt like, like going around like did you know that lucy listens yeah. to so and so and like it's grace right our yeah. whole thing is like you don't know anyone's story, really. Mm-hmm. You don't know what their connections are to these things. So just, like, you can make your own decisions, but yeah. give people grace when it comes to making theirs. And with Harry Potter, I think the world has been quite good, and it helps that all the main characters have absolutely condemned J.K. Rowling and, For sure. and things like that. It's it's You're allowed to still have Harry Potter because of the meaning you extracted from it and because, I mean, I haven't read, done a close reading of the books, but they didn't seem to be rolling sort of anti-trans sentiment, sentiment throughout. Yeah. yeah, I know that there was, um, you know, little things with kind of the naming of the mm. some of the Asian characters and things like that that were relatively, like, problematic. But it is, like, yeah, understanding that and then sort divorcing of, that yeah. from... From the love that also, you feel yeah. for the character themselves. Separating the art from the artist yeah. because it leaves you with the meaning and the feeling that you took, have, and need. We need art. We need... We like, do. We we need it. So we can't Absolutely. just cut it out. And so, Luce, what is your example of when you've struggled with this kind of whole separating the art from the artist conversation? So easy. Mm-hmm. Yay. Yeah. Kanye West... Liv and I have done some really good podcasts that I'm actually really proud of about mm. Yay because we dove into him and his psyche and why he is the way he is. But my younger brother, James, Liv, who you know or knew really well, he passed away and Kanye was his bread and butter. Oh, like, they had a Kanye star at the yeah. top of their Christmas tree. Yeah. Like, and James if someone came around and saw obsessed. that now, that yeah. would be like, mm. Mm. did you know did you, I, that he's actually really problematic? I know. Like, yes, I fucking, I fucking do. Know. But do you want me to tell you why it's there? Yeah, like, literally. <laughs> my little brother died. No. <laughs> no, and like, we can't do that. But that's the thing is like, mm. people wouldn't know that context. And that's why you just For can't sure. really judge. And it's like, they wouldn't know that context even if they knew you quite yes. well, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you never know. Even if it's like a friend of yours that you feel like you know quite well, you still don't know everything that's happened in their lives, yeah. every emotional connection they've had to a piece of art. So, like, yeah, just take a step back. Judgment-free zone. Judgment-free We're zone. all trying to navigate this really complex kind of territory. And, like, the thing is, looking at things in context, mm-hmm. it's quite a – it's quite interesting, especially for us with James, because we know the time that he passed away and it's before Kanye had sort of gone and been really manic on Maine. Mm-hmm. And we know this is because of his bipolar disorder. Yeah. We have episodes unpacking all of this. And so it's almost like a time capsule, yeah. like emotional 
attachment, oh my God. which I'm fine with. And I just, I'm all, that's why I think when it comes to separating the art from the artist, so much more complex than we give, like, well, no, we give it credit for being complex. We know how fucking hard this is to navigate. But yes. just like with me and Liv, we have these things in our lives that are really hard to put down. Absolutely. And actually you shouldn't have to sometimes. And being okay with things not being perfectly fitting into these categories of good and bad. Yep. Like we're obsessed as a society with labels, with yep. with things just like fitting perfectly so that there's no tension. That's not how life works. And no. we need to become more comfortable with grey areas because most of life is a grey area. And and most of life requires some introspection and some Absolutely. looking into how you feel about that and thing. why your perspective, like how that's been formed and like are you looking at, at it the most objectively you can or is it all emotionally yeah. fueled? It's, it's, it's really, really hard. I think one other point that probably deserves a little bit of ear time but that's also quite hard to word is that – I think that if your art is also related to you as a public figure, mm. obviously you're an actor, you're a singer, you're an activist, you're, you're I don't know, public, then it is, you are like so much more likely to have mm-hmm. a huge downfall because it's not like a random novelist who maybe has created this like gorgeous, huge novel that the world loves, but they don't know you, they don't care about you as the writer. That, and they haven't even, like, looked into you. Yeah, it's like the public-facing people, right? Like, we hold them to ha- such a high standard, kind of as we should because yes. they have a lot of influence. But it just means that other people can get off scot-free, say, if they're much more of a behind-the-scenes person. Yes. Like, you're never going to stop watching a movie because the art director of the movie was really problematic. Yes. Like, you're going to care about the director or the actors. Yes. Like, because... But at the end of the day, they all had... they And the art director's creating art. Like, yeah. that's an art and the artist thing there. So I think it's really interesting. And then with the rise of, one, social media, and two, cancel culture, we see this fusion of a novelist like Sally Rooney then also having to be, even if they haven't chosen to be, a public figure purely mm-hmm. because people love her fiction. But then we saw in her third book that because people knew who she was as a public figure and they knew that she was like a Marxist and they were putting all of her ideologies into, they were instilling that context into her book, uh-huh. whether she tried to put it there or not, that it's sort of like, fucked her up like you know yeah absolutely and it just creates really murky territory Mm. and a judgmental point of view and also like look at yourselves and think in your life like what dirt could people dig up on you if you suddenly got really famous well like Like, if your job as an accountant which is incredibly important but it's not an art creating job mm -hmm. i mean Maybe you're making some fucking magic with those numbers. Yeah. But imagine if just because it was your chosen career choice, you had to like suddenly be everything in your background. The squeakiest clean person ever, which just isn't realistic. Yeah. I just don't think, I just don't think that, I don't want to say it's not fair because it's also a real privilege to be creating art. It is. And also like some of these people have done literally like illegal things. Yes gone to jail oh bro you're convicted like Like, makes a decision all the more easy to drop you a hundred percent is just like there's so many nuances so many things to take into account that it's not a conversation of can we separate the art from the artist yes or no it's literally like this whole internal introspection thing figuring out your values 
weighing it up. Yeah. And just like I'm sure as you've been listening to this and maybe not agreeing with some of the things that we've said, you're going to give us grace because we're trying to help clear up some murky things. We would never, you know, say that you really found it quite easy to cut Harry Potter out of your life and you came and told us that. We also are so like, yes, you you. do what's best for you. Um, And so I think just, just know we hear you because it's different for everyone. And I hope that even if what Liv and I have said on here you don't agree with, you've maybe swallowed it yeah. and started digesting it in some type of way. And like maybe you can use this conversation to not be too hard on yourself as to whether you're listening to something that you're like, fuck, I probably shouldn't be, but I fucking love this song. And exactly. Like, yeah. Look. Look. We're all doing what we can. We are. Anyway, Liv. What's on your radar this week? Um, what's on my radar is Jordan Peele's new film, Nope. Oh, I want to see that too. I really want to watch it. I Were you a big fan of Get Out and Us? Do you like his now, movies? Now, just, just was Get Out the amazing one where, where the white girl takes her... Yes, her boyfriend. Her boyfriend. I was such a fan of that. And like the hypnotism and... Live. Yeah. Obsessed. And I'm a very... like. The sound of the um the teacup the teacup is just ingrained. Oh, I know it's that great movie, freaky. And then us is the one with I didn't watch it that. was. It's also really good. Um, like a different type of scary, not mm. as like freaky. I wouldn't say, but more like jumpy, jumpy, and yeah, also really good. So I'm very excited to watch Nope. And haven't they done like no um. Like teasing, really, that like you don't really know what the film's about at yeah. all. Yeah, and there's been a lot of like critics write up reviews, and I'm not actually sure whether they're leaning positive mm-hmm. or negative, and I kind of don't really nah. want to until nah. I see it for myself. Cool. But yeah, what's on your radar? Um, so I'm reading two books right now. One of them I've mentioned, it's um, the book about fangirls, One Direction. That's sort of a dip in and dip out because it's yeah. nonfiction. And then I'm reading a book called The Echo Chamber by. Um, John Boyne, and he's the guy who wrote The Boy in Striped Pajamas. And I didn't realize that, but I started reading it, and I was like, this is actually real good. My like, dad has told me to read that book oh, so I've many got times. So, yeah, oh, amazing. Um, he's a huge John Boyne oh, um, fan, and, yeah, he said to... Oh, well, okay, that's good, because sometimes I need, I mean, this is why we do this, yeah. a recommendation. Like, I need someone to tell me it's good yes. to just get me through. Yes. And then I bought two more books in the weekend, which I just don't know if I'm going to get to, but they're on my radar. My Brilliant Friend, um, which I think is a... Like one of three, and people have said it's amazing. And then a book called "What Are You Going Through?" Oh, and I bought Joan Didion's "A Year of Magical Thinking," which I'm I, really excited yeah, to read. But I I'm, haven't read any Joan Didion. This one's about grief, and apparently, it's uh-huh. like the best book that's been written about about grief. grief. Or people are just saying it captures something that not many people can. Uh-huh. So. I'm going to wait till I'm in the right mindset to read that, but I'm totally. very excited. Like, I'm yeah, really excited to read Yeah, you'll have to let it. me know how oh, that goes. We can read it. Yeah. So, yeah, I've got, I've got books on my radar, but That's I also have a Nintendo Switch, so who knows if I'm going to get to yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> True, three hours into Animal Crossing. I know. Fuck my books. I <laughs> just going to the wayside. Yeah. <laughs> oh, anyway, team, as always... Big thank you to you for listening. Big thank you to Part-Time Rangers for sponsoring this episode. Huge thank you to Dungeon Master T.I.H. Butler over here. <laughs> Liv, people should come and su- become a Cisco supporter, not only because it means that we can keep doing this every week, but... 
because it means they can read your Joy Crooks interview. Yes. They can read your take on separating the art from the artist in a way more concise. In a way more, I feel like I'll be able to articulate yeah. it. Like, don't worry. If you still don't really know what you what we were saying on this podcast, yeah, like, come to the newsletter. It will be much more refined yes. and hopefully... And you can refer back to it. Yes. Um, and Liv, thank you for joining this. Thank you, Luce. Yeah. Thank you for showing up today. I know it was hard to get out of bed. <laughs> it was hard. See you next week, everyone. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.